Hi, my name's Joe Wise. I've been uh, coming to the Bible Chapel for 21 years and have been uh, serving as an elder for the past uh, 17 years. I had a stroke on uh, June the 14th. I was in uh, St. Clair Hospital for 12 days. There were 11 people from the chapel that were there. Uh, and then after that, the meals, the phone calls, the visits to the house, the handyman kinds of things that the people have helped with around the house has just been, uh, just been terrific. Community to me means uh, becoming connected with a group of other believers in the church. It's only through some kind of connection that you may have that you can enjoy that community and that kind of that fellowship. Well, someone has said there is nothing that works quite like the church when the church is working right. And I love that story about Joe and Ginger because that's a time when the church worked right. No programs, no planning, no announcements, no sign-ups. There was a need and people responded. I hope Joe doesn't mind me telling this part of the story that didn't make the video, but I got an email from Joe, uh, I don't know how long, a few weeks before that, and they were thinking about moving from the area to be closer to uh, their daughter uh, up north. And so um, that was devastating to me because Joe has been such a huge part of ministry here for so long. So, you know, we knew that was going to happen, but then the stroke happened and his daughter saw everyone here and how they interact and said, man, you'd be crazy to leave this area. This is your community. And the backstory of all this is Joe and Ginger have ministered in so many ways for so many years to so many people that they have those relationships, that connection. So when something happens in their life, as something will happen in all of our lives, there are those who are there to minister to them as they have ministered to others. Today we kick off a, a new series we're calling Necessary Connections. It's a sermon series about the church. It's a sermon series about serving. It's a sermon series about interacting together. It's a sermon series about what real community looks like. Why the church? What's the church about? And how does this thing we call the church work? For our initial uh, research in this series, I pulled Scott Arve, our executive pastor in. I pulled in Dave D. Donato, who pastors our, our campus pastor of our church in Wilkinsburg. By the way, Dave and uh, Kristen just had a little baby uh, this week. Yeah. Kristen did all the work. Dave gets his picture on the screen. <laughs> also pulled in Tom Rojan from Robinson and uh, Zeb Thomas. Uh, from our church in Washington. And we got together, we, we had some books that we read regarding community. We did our own study from scripture and we came together and kind of brainstormed. And, and, and the, the results of that time became the framework of what we're gonna be presenting over the next several weeks. I have felt a need for this type of series for some time. The cool thing is our church is growing in all of our campuses. That's the cool thing. 
It's the exciting part. I believe a healthy church is going to grow because you're excited about it. So you're asking other people to come. You're inviting other people. But it also, growth makes us vulnerable, doesn't it? Because you can come and not get connected. You can come and fall through the cracks. And I got to tell you, in an elders meeting or in a staff meeting, sometimes on our own, we get a knot in our stomach when we think of a person and think, oh man, I haven't seen them for a while. You've seen them? No, I haven't seen them. You've seen them? I haven't seen them. We can't let people fall through the cracks. We're not the church for everyone. Some people are going to leave our church. But we should be involved in that process, right? We have to do a better job of being connected with each other. We are essential parts of each other. The body of Christ. And, and I know we'd all agree that if our nose was disconnected from our body, that would be an area of concern, right? If our hand was laying over there, that'd be a problem. And so the body of Christ has the body together. This past month, I had the privilege of visiting all our campuses. I, I uh, presented when the game stands tall seven times. Got a little better every time. Lori said seven more times, and it may be actually decent. Uh, <laughs> beginning next Wednesday, I get to do a marriage enrichment uh, out in uh, the, the Washington campus. Looking forward to that. God's doing some great things in that campus as well. And, and we, talk about, we talk about the church being one church, many locations. In fact, we even have it in our bulletin. One church, multiple locations. I got to tell you, that is a lot easier to print in the bulletin than it is to do. Every church is unique. Every campus is refreshingly unique. Every campus has its own personality. Every campus has its own opportunities. Every campus has its distinct challenges, great things, and we all need to be on the same page. We, we share the same DNA, but we have different personalities. So over the next weeks, we want to make certain we understand what it means to be a part of the church. What is the church in the first place? We'll look at today. What's the characteristics of the church? Three things that we want to do through this series. One is to grasp the importance and the power of Christian community. It is essential that you're connected. The power and the benefits of Christian community can be found no other place. We also want to talk about the responsibility of Christian community. If you are in any organization, a local soccer association or the golf club, there is responsibility that goes along with that. Every organization we're a part of has responsibility, and the church is not an organization but an organism that we have to be a part of, essential connections. And then third, engage in our personal role of Christian community. The Bible says that we are a body, every one of us critically important. Every one of us has a gift we need to use and we cannot stand on the sidelines. I guarantee you, 25-man roster of the Pirates, now larger because we're at the end of the season, those guys want to get in the game. They don't want to stand on the sidelines. I can promise you, the guys on the Steelers don't want to stand on the sidelines. They want to be on the field. I coached Dub. Uh, my son's uh, football team uh, when he was uh, growing up, and we had a great time. And I'll never forget, 
I'm standing on the sidelines one day, game's going on, and I'm, I'm with this uh, little boy, and I said, all right, man, get ready, you're in. And he said, well, you know what? I don't really want to go in. <laughs> he said, I, I don't really like football. <laughs> My parents make me play. So I said, if you don't want to send me in, that's just okay. That's all right with me. A lot of Christians are the same way, aren't they? That's okay. I'll just stand here on the sidelines. I'll watch everybody else involved. I'll reap the benefits. I'll put a win on my column or a loss, but I don't want to participate. We're going to talk about engagement in the role of Christian community. In order to do that, we're going to go straight to Scripture. We're going, to, we're going to look at the early church in the New Testament. From Acts, we'll see the unique characteristics of the early group. Then was scattered, and those characteristics should still remain practically applied to today's situations. We're going to see in Rome, when Paul writes that letter, he says, you in the Roman church, you have to be tethered to the anchor of the Word of God. This is it. This is God's inspired word. Culture's going to go this way. Culture's going to go that way. But you've got to stay anchored, tethered to God's word. We're going to look at um, the church in Rome, in Corinth. We're going to look at the church in the area of Galatia, in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Colossae, in Thessalonica. You know what we're going to find? That every one of those churches had tremendous opportunity and every one of those churches had tremendous challenges. Many times Paul writes the letter to address the challenges. So sometimes today people will say, you know, it's a member of the Bible chapel. I can't believe. I can't believe that's going on in their life. I can't believe that happened. They're a member of the Bible chapel. And that happened. They, they sinned. Can you believe it? Yeah. It's been going on since the beginning of time. The church is filled with people, sinners like you and me. And so when we look at the church, there is, there is nothing new that we're going to see today that didn't happen in Corinth. I mean, think of Corinth. We're going to see there the, the, the tremendous unity, or, or Paul writes, so, so that they would have unity because there's divisions there. Paul's going to talk about the generosity that they need to follow up on that they promised the church in Jerusalem. And Paul, remember when he writes to Corinth, he says, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you of a kind that you can kind of hear Paul whisper this, of a kind that doesn't even occur among the pagans. We have to meet those challenges head on and only from scripture can we do that. So we'll see the challenges have always been there. And through scripture, we can address each one. Okay, take your Bibles as we get started and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Let me pray before we look at this passage. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the things we need to see. Open our ears to hear the things we need to hear. Open our hearts to absorb the things we need to absorb. Father, take this message and, and, and deliver it personally to each person here. You're the only one who can do that. And I pray that you would address the issues of our life because we do not want to stay where we are. We want to grow in our walk with you. We want to leave here differently. We want to make an impact for you in our neighborhoods, 
and in our workplace and in our schools. We can only do that when you are working powerfully through us. And so we pray that your word allows us to do that today in Christ's name. Amen. So a lot of the religious leaders were coming to Jesus and they were demanding a sign. They said, show us that you're really the Messiah. Jesus said, I'm not gonna give you another sign. If you can't believe me from the signs I've already done, not gonna give you another. And Jesus went away. He needed to regroup with his disciples. And so he went away, leaving this area here in Capernaum. Remember, Jesus's headquarters were there on the north side of the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel, this little country, 200 miles long, 60 miles wide. He leaves Capernaum, that's his headquarters, and the disciples travel 25 miles north to this city called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is located at the beginning of the Jordan uh, River. Uh, it is an interesting city for Jesus to go to, to talk to his disciples about what we're going to talk about today, because it was a city surrounded by idol worship and pagan deities. When you go to Caesarea Philippi today, you can stand kind of in the middle of the city and you can look around you at the cliffs and you can see the things up there, the cutouts in the mountains. There were idols in all those cutouts. Some of them are still there. You can at least see where they were. And as Jesus was standing there, probably about 30 yards from where that picture is, Jesus is standing there. There's this big uh, cave there. Anyone know what that's called? the gates of Hades. And Jesus is kind of down about 30 yards from that. And why does he pick this city filled with idols for the message we have today? I'm not for sure, but man, it leaves us with a tremendous contrast of truth versus error. Verse 6, 13 of chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? What's the word on the street? Who are people saying that I am? And I love that passage because inherent in that question is the disciples knew what was going on on the street. The disciples didn't have their head stuck in the sand. They knew what was going on in the culture around them. Jesus knew they'd be able to answer the question. And so they do. Well, some say you are John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others to Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked, the, this is the question he was getting to, right? That's great. Now, who do you say I am? What about you? Who do you say? That's always the question, doesn't it? Doesn't matter about what anyone else says about Jesus. The question is, what do you say? And you just don't say that with your mouth or write it out on a paper on testimony, you say that every day of your life in the office, at school, in the neighborhood, in your family. Who do you say I am? Verse 16 is this tremendous profession of Peter. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've read that passage a hundred times. That passage is no passage to quickly read over. It's not a passage to scan. That passage contains the first and fundamental confession of the Christian faith on which the church is built. Five things in that confession. Number one, it is not 
a confession of human means or an opinion or a view. It was revealed by God himself. Jesus says that in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. You didn't hear this on the streets. This wasn't the view of culture. In fact, they've kind of put me on the cross. But this was revealed to you by my Father. The first part of that confession is inspired or revealed by God. The second part of that confession is it is Christ-centered from the beginning to the end. You are the Christ, Son of the living God. It is Christocentric. The first confession of the Christian faith is fundamentally Christocentric. Number three, Jesus, you are fully man. Peter, remember, is looking at Jesus standing there in the flesh. He sees Jesus as a man there in Caesarea Philippi, surrounded by all that stuff. You, as a man, are the Christ. The next part of the confession You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for. In Hebrew, you're the Messiah. In Greek, the Christ. And you are the son of the living God. Son of in scripture means equal to. You are equal to God. That is the first and fundamental foundational confession of the Christian faith. Powerful uh, confession. Peter is saying, inspired by God, Jesus, you are fully man. You are fully God. You are the promised Messiah. It's all about you. Now, notice what Jesus does with that confession. Here's what he says. And I tell you that you are Peter. By the way, Peter was Jesus' nickname for a man named Simon. Jesus gave him the nickname Peter, you are a rock. That's what the word means in Greek. You are solid. You're going to be an outspoken leader. You are a rock. And the word in Greek is Petros. Peter, you are, and I tell you that you are Petros. And on this, play on words for Jesus in the Greek, and on this rock, now he says, Petra, and on this rock I will build my church. What's going on there? Here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, you're the one who said it, and I got to tell you, that confession you just gave, that Petra, the confession, you are Peter, and on your confession of who I am and what I'm going to do, I will build my church. I haven't done it yet, but I will build it on the fact that I am the Son of God, that I am the Son of Man, that I am going to the cross, that I'm going to die for sins. On that confession, I will build my church. Right here is the first mention of what we call the church. In Greek, it's the word ekklesia. It means gathered together. It means a collection together, an assembly of believers. When you think of the church, think of the church with the big C. That's the church around the world. Everyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ alone is the only way to have a relationship with the living God is part of the church. Christians in Russia, Christians in the Middle East, Christians in South America, around the world. That's the big C. We are all a part of the big C if we have trusted in Christ. But we would all agree that it would be a little difficult to worship together and to live out our Christian life with the Christians in Russia, right? And so we have local communities, little C's, little church 
local communities where we come together and connect together, necessary connections in these communities. And Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia, my church, on myself, on who I am. And the gates of Hades, represented by that cave up there, the gates of Hades meant death itself. If you entered the gates of Hades, you were entering death. And so Jesus is saying, in the gates of Hades, death and Satan and all the forces around him, nothing will overcome it. I will conquer death itself. And those who follow me will be death conquerors. Those who follow me will have this little blip of time while they're on earth and they will enjoy me forever. And during the time on earth, I've got things for them to do. I have an assignment for them. I have an urgent assignment for them. They are not to stand on the sidelines saying, well, you know, I really don't want to get in the game. The ecclesia, the gathering of believers, the church was built by Christ. It is built on Christ. It is built for Christ. It is not a human organization. It is a living organism, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And we are a part of it. And it can never be defeated. The church can never be defeated not because of us, but because of Jesus, the one it is built on by him and for him. So this first and fundamental confession of the Christian faith says the church cannot be taken lightly. It cannot be treated flippantly. It is a gathering of believers, and every believer must accept his or her role in this body called the church. A church is not a building. That building you are in at Pox is not a building. Neither the building that's across the corner that you're going to be moving into soon, that's not the church. The church at PTI or the new one we're going to build out in uh, by the wave pool, that is not the church. The beautiful old building of Wheeling and Maine in Washington, not the church. This is not the church. This is sheetrock, concrete, and, and wood held together by nails and glue and cement. This is a building. We are the church. And you are the church, whether you're in the checkout line at the grocery store, whether you're coaching your child's rec team, whether you're sitting in a Steelers game, whether you're trying to get out of the parking lot here in the South Hills, you really need to be the church when you're doing that. Whether you're singing in the choir, whether you're teaching a Bible study, here's one thing we want to drill down during this series. No Here's something we got to get out of our vocabulary. No one goes to church. The church is wherever we go. So tell your kids, not we're going to church. We are, as the church, are going to meet with other like-minded believers as we worship together and praise God together and interconnect together. And, and, and love each other and serve each other so we can go in the community and demonstrate what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. No one goes to church. The church goes wherever you as a believer are. It's pretty weighty, isn't it? So the first, um, the first real Mexican restaurant I ever ate at 
was in Oklahoma City called Casa Bonita. Anyone ever eaten at Casa Bonita? You don't know what you're missing. My friends in high school, every chance we got, man, we loaded up that car and we headed to Oklahoma City to eat at Casa Bonita. I don't, I don't know how it would compare today to some of the great Mexican restaurants uh, I've eaten at, but back then there was no competition. The wait was always long, but worth every minute of anticipation. When you slid across the vinyl seats at the booth, the warm chips and spicy salsa were already at the table waiting for you, screaming, consume me. <laughs> Fill yourself up with me and you won't even be hungry when the meal comes. Everything from the chips to the entrees, all you could eat. And on each table, there was a stand, had a little, little rope on the side and a little flag and when you wanted more food, you just slid the flag up. And a waiter or waitress immediately was at the table. I don't know how it happened. I think that it just came out of the floor right there in front of the table. <laughs> and you told them what you wanted. And they went and got it. When I was in high school, we never put the flag down. <laughs> when you had eaten all you could possibly eat, and we're extremely full. It was time to put the flag back up for the soap peas. They were piping hot. They came piled on a plate. And you bit off the corner and then you just poured the honey in there. And then after you had all those soap peas, you raised the flag again. <laughs> One more time. And when I walked out of Casa Bonita, I was full. So I'm afraid too many professing believers treat the church like Casa Bonita. The church built by, on, and for Jesus Christ Jesus Christ who conquered death for us so we could have eternal life. Many believers treat it about as seriously as an all-you-can-eat Mexican restaurant. They want a lot of food for minimal investment. Don't talk to me about money. I've had people say, how long does the, the stewardship series last? Because I don't want to invite anyone during that series. And don't ask me to sacrifice anything. I ain't got too much going on. You know I got kids to put through college. They want to be served instead of serving. I want what you have to offer, and I want what my, you have to offer my kids, but don't ask me to get involved. I'm busy. I'm busy doing my thing. They raise the flag when they want more, right? Feed me. Encourage me. Entertain me. Care for me. Marry me. Bury me. 
teach my children, but I don't want to get involved. I don't want to invest everything. I'm just raising the flag. I'll be there if nothing else gets in the way. If there's not a 135 Pirates game or a Steelers home game. (laughs) I mean, don't expect me to come to church at the Steelers home game. Or I got to get my boat on the lake. Sorry I haven't seen you in a while, but you know, skiing, man, our family loves it. I'll come to the church as long as you've got something good for me to to offer me. But if there's a shiny or new ministry somewhere else, I'll check it out. For many believers, the church is nothing more than an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord. A lack of investment, being served instead of serving, raise the flag and give me more attitude was not what Jesus had in mind when he talked about the ecclesia in Matthew 16 and said, on that organism, on that confession of faith that I am the Christ, the Son of God, that I'm going to conquer death itself on that confession, I will build my church. The church will be built for me, and it will be built by me, and it will be built on me. The church The church is not someplace we go to. We are the church. And the church flows from the work and person of Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. The church flows from the work and person of Jesus Christ. And there is absolutely no model that you will find in Scripture if you're serious about Scripture. There is no model you will find in Scripture where a believer is not a part of, not connected with other believers. It will not happen. It doesn't have to be here, but it's got to be somewhere. A churchless Christian is a misnomer. First of all, you are the church, and everywhere in Scripture, you're connected with other believers because it is essential that you're connected. You watch those National Geographic programs? Does a roaring lion ever go after those Poor gazelles in the pack. Who's he go after? The one that's straight away. The one that's on his own. A believer on his own or on her own is a sitting duck for Satan. If you are not essentially connected, you're in a dangerous, dangerous situation. And you're no match for the forces of Satan. Central connections in the church means you have each other's back. Two quick things, and then I'm I'm done. The first one is this. Being spiritually grounded means that we have to be spiritual. Being spiritually grounded is the first step of necessary connections. We've got to be spiritually grounded. We live in a world where we're getting all kinds of stuff coming at us all the time. Do we know what we believe and why we believe it? So there's a new movie out, 90 Minutes in Heaven, right? Can that happen? 
And if you say, oh yeah, it can happen, then show me from scripture. I'm not saying it can't, but you better be able to back it up from scripture. Can you do that? It's a great article in Christianity Today if you can't. We need to be able to do that. That's what the, cult, the disciples didn't have their head in the culture. That's what our culture is talking about. So they come to you tomorrow morning and say, hey, have you seen 90 minutes in heaven, this guy who had a car ride going to heaven? What are you going to tell them? Read that article. It's a great balance of making sure that what we say is grounded in Scripture. What are you going to tell them about the culture, cultural issues? You've got to be grounded. So we've taken a year to rewrite Living Grounded. The rewrite is done and we're ready for a reboot, restart. By the end of September, the books will be in and we thank a lot of you who have gone through some of the pilot books. Thank you for your patience on that. Living Grounded now has 12 sessions instead of 20. For those of you who did the 20, you have rewards in heaven. Uh, The rest of you, now we got it where we want it with these 12. And we are asking you to reboot, to go through it in your small groups. The material starts with the life map, and you can see through that life map as you look at your heroes and your hard times and, and, the, and, the, and the difficult times in your life and your high points that God never wastes your time. And that would be a tremendous thing to do with your small groups and share that. We have a chapter on what it means to be a Christian, how the Holy Spirit is at work, chapter on spiritual identity, chapters on how to study the Bible, the will of God, how, um, how to tell your own story, owning your influence. Parents, we wrote it at a fourth and fifth grade level. It's for new believers. You, parents, 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 you need to be going through it with your children. You need to be discipling your children. That is part of your parental responsibility. If you think that an hour on a Sunday and an hour on a Wednesday night with spiritual input is going to do the job with your kid, you're living in la-la land. You have to be those who disciple your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you got to be teaching them. You got to be talking about it. You got to show them how this thing works in real life. You got to make sure there's not this category of their life that says, here's how we do church, but here's how we really live. Those things got to mesh in such a way that it's seamless. That's our goal, that's our challenge. So, parents, take your kids through it. Necessary connections demand living grounded. You can see that in Bolton, you can see it on our website. We're going to have classes. You can do it one-on-one. -on -one. You can do it one-on-few. -on -few. Scott Harvey is going to teach a class on Wednesday nights. There are going to be classes on Sunday mornings. Every campus, you in Wilkinsburg and Robinson and Washington, uh, the campus pastors are going to teach the material there. Again, we've, we've got to be grounded. We've got to be grounded. We're going to be blown with every wave of doctrine, everything new that comes out, every new and shiny thing that looks good and feels good. It's got to be right here. Grounded in God's word. Number two, necessary connections demands that we are engaged. We're engaged with each other and we're engaged with the community. At the Bible Chapel, we have this thing called Beyond These Walls. This is monies that really help start uh, different ministries and sustain some ministries. Monies given 
generously to beyond these walls is why we have different campuses. It's why we can do some things uh, that uh, we would not be able to do with the general operating budget. And we are launching a new ministry today that is a result of those of you who gave to beyond these walls. If you gave, this is your ministry that you started. It's called Psalm 195, uh, sorry, 139. There's not a 190, whatever. <laughs> it's called 139. And it's Psalm 139. It's a ministry for children with special needs or families and families of children with special needs. I'm going to let uh, Jacqueline Stottlemyre and some of the kids introduce this ministry to you. We believe that every child is uniquely created in God's image and that he has a purpose for every one of their lives. So 139 Special Needs Ministry is already impacting children and their families. And with the newly completed space, we can continue to grow this ministry and the impact it is having. Here are some of the faces of Psalm 139. Psalm 139, 13, 18. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am very and wonderfully made. Your words are wonderful. I know fast for well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You are all day and the day four were I to count them they would outnumber the grains of sand when I awake I am still with you coming to the Bible chapel not being judged that we're all sinners that we're all here to learn a lesson. We're, we don't know our purpose, and God only knows that. And having Katie is just one of the struggles along the way. It makes it nice to know that other families, and along with yours, can come and to um, drop off your kids and know that the, the staff's trained, and then you don't have to worry. And you can go into the church and relax and worship and come back, and you know your kids are safe, that they're well taken care of. To be able to concentrate on why we come here is just, we never had. Just knowing that she's really having fun and we're having fun singing and, right. and praising God like we should be. My name is Al Quarterpassi. Sheila is behind me. This is Katie Quarterpassi, Austin, and Travis Quarterpassi. Yeah. <clears throat> the special needs ministry has been a vision of Nancy Harrison for many, many years. It started seven years ago when one of the dedicated volunteers, Jennifer Christensen, kind of took it on herself to get some things uh, rolling for these families. We began to meet about the issue and got to work on a strategy and a plan and a proposal. Of course, a strong ministry always needs a strong leader, and that's where Jacqueline Stoudemire comes in. We appreciate uh, her leadership of this ministry. 
through our Beyond These Walls campaigns and, and the generosity of this congregation, we've been able to see that vision come to fruition with the launch today of Psalm 139 Special Needs Ministry. It is housed in our brand new children's wing, and it's equipped with state-of-the-art technology and sensory modification to meet the needs of children who have a variety of physical and cognitive, emotional, and social needs. We do this because we want to welcome all children and all families of children with special needs to our church to let them hear the message of Jesus Christ. You know that many families who have children with special needs cannot come to church. They can't bring their church into the worship. They can't bring their child into the worship center, and they can't trust that their child's going to be taken care of. They can hear. Given the large number of people who have children with special needs, you know someone, maybe someone in your neighborhood or your family, and you can invite them to come. We have uh, families uh, of children with special needs that will be in the lobby. They're wearing black shirts with Psalm 139 written on the front. And you can talk to them and ask them how best to describe this type of ministry to, to someone who has children with uh, special needs. We have adults trained specifically for this ministry. There's nothing that works quite like the church when the church is working right. And part of that is sometimes um, tough assignments that people get. And one of those tough assignments has come to Matt uh, Tadero. Matt, if you and Jen would come on down. Uh, Matt is our pastor of adult ministries, and he is also an army chaplain. And in just a few days, Matt will be leaving on a 14-month, a 400-day assignment to uh, Africa, to Djibouti, Africa, on the east coast of Africa, sharing the borders with Somalia and Ethiopia. And from that base in uh, Djibouti, Matt's going to be ministering to the troops throughout Africa who will be heading on missions that we'll never hear about, uh, but will be putting their uh, life on the line. And so, Matt, just tell us a little bit about uh, your ministry as we, we're going to gather around and pray for you. So how many of you have ever heard of the country Djibouti before? Not too many. Um, when I told our daughters that I was going away for 14 months, obviously there were a lot of tears. And that continued until I told them where I was going. And for a fourth grader and third grader to hear the country Djibouti, uh, it kind of eased the burden at the time. Uh, this is a bittersweet moment. Uh, I look around and we've just been overwhelmed with the amount of love and support that the church has shown us not just these last few weeks, but for the last eight years of being here, the last year and a half of being on staff, uh, excited about what God has in front of us. We have no idea what this looks like. Uh, 400 days away from my best friend and my bride, 400 days without my daughters. Um, we have no idea, but we do know that God goes before us, that God stands behind us, and he is going to be our strength and our protection. And it's a lot easier walking away knowing all of you are here to support my family. Um, we covet your prayers. Uh, when the Bible Chapel hired me, they knew I was in the military. They knew there was a chance, actually, in the interview. I was asked, when are you deploying? I said, probably tomorrow, since you asked that question. <laughs> it was a year and a half later, but um, my mission is to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to soldiers throughout Africa. I know you may hear that that's not allowed, but that's my mission, to preach the gospel. So this is our multi-site.
So I ask that you would pray for the hearts of the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that I'll be ministering to throughout the continent. I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do there. Uh, my prayers also, if you could lift up my family. Um, you know, being away this long, we've never done this, and so we could really use that. Uh, but really excited. When I come back, there's going to be a new building in Robinson and Wilkinsburg. And who knows what else what the Lord is going to do through each and every one of you. So we just thank you for this opportunity. Great. So we're going to pray for Matt. Part of Essential Connections means that we, uh, we get close together. This is not a time to leave here in the South Hills. It's a time to come forward in Wilkinsburg and Robinson and uh, Washington. If you guys will stand and join us in this prayer. So gather around uh, Matt and Jen, Riley and Talia as uh, we pray for this family. Father, we thank you for this family. We thank you for Matt and Jen and their girls. We thank you, Father, for their coming to this church and being an impact here even before Matt came on staff for his leaving the teaching profession and coming and uh, making such an impact in the ministries here with the adult ministries. And Lord, we're gonna miss him. We're gonna miss his ministry here. We're gonna miss his friendship. And we can't even imagine uh, how Jen will be missing him as he goes and how he'll be missing Jen and, and the girls and his family missing him. Lord, man, that we can't, we can't fathom that. So we leave that in your hands. I pray, Father, that you would be with Matt, that you would protect him physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, that you would be with him in the lonely moments and you would remind him that he was never alone and you would fill him with just an overwhelming sense of your presence. Do the same with Jen here. In many ways, it'll be harder for Jen here, Matt going, as he'll be so busy. Father, as Matt said, it's bittersweet and the opportunity for him to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and an unashamed, uncompromising way you have given him a tremendous and exciting mission. And I pray, Father, that as he travels around Africa, you would open the hearts of the soldiers there. Many of them the next day will be going into a difficult, difficult situation. Lord, prepare their hearts. And I pray that they would hear the message that comes from Matt's lips that comes from you through Matt's lips. And Lord, be with him. We commit him to you. We're asking, Lord, for his protection, for his safety. We're asking, Lord, for Jen's protection and safety as well. Allow us as a body of Christ to know how to minister to Jen in the, in the ways, in the time that Matt's gone. And as Matt said, that he has a, that confidence knowing that uh, Jen's surrounded by people who love her and care for her, as with her girls. So, Father, we leave Matt in your hands. We commission him to you to do your work as a chaplain in the United States Army and the continent of Africa. And we pray, Father, that eternity would be changed in these next four months, 14 months, because of the message that you lay on Matt's heart and the power you give him to deliver it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.